I am super excited about talking about Hebrews 11 today. I'll be honest, when I saw that I had this chapter, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, and as I have gotten to look through it, especially actually for about two weeks, and especially in the last week, I've been really excited about the opportunity that we have um, just to be able to delve into this this week and um, today. Lauren is bringing me my notes, and that is going to be very helpful for teaching. Yep, because Lauren, Lauren is now going to, after she brings me my notes, turn on the microphone. <laughs> All right. So if you want to turn to your Hebrews 11 text, and in the notes for this week, there should be just a blank notes-taking page. We are beginning, as Susan kind of alluded to, our descent. So if we were on an airplane setting the book of Hebrews, we would have gotten to our cruising elevation. We have cruised, and now we are descending. One thing that is different about this week is that we are not learning anything that Jesus is better than this week. We have completed our betters. We have learned that Jesus is better or more supreme in his, than the angels, Moses. He's a better high priest. He has a better promise, better hope and covenant, better tabernacle, better sacrifice. And now we're going to take a, talk about all of that, and we're going to look with all of that in our mind, towards now consider the faithful. Now that these truths have been taken and digested by us, he's asking us, the author is asking us, or she, we will never know until we get to heaven, is asking us to consider how all of this plays into our lives from here on out. He has told us again and again and again, do not return to the shadow when now you have the substance. If you remember in your outline at the beginning of your notes, there is an, um, an outline. And we are kind of in the section last week and this week in this exhortation to perseverance. And that will actually continue into next week, into chapter 12. So that's really this bullet point that we're looking at. How is the author continuing to tell the readers to persevere? If you just remember a little bit of the context of this original audience, they are continually facing so much hardship. And that is what he has kind of continued in the rest of the book leading up to this point to be able to say, but remember, but Jesus is better. Do not go back to that because Jesus is better. And now he's saying to them, now consider the faithful. 1025 that we looked at last week talks about not neglecting to meet together. And that's encouragement, and that's the context of what we're talking about today. The rest of 1025, go, or the rest of the end of chapter 10 goes on to say, hey, but recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that you have that so that when when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse thirty nine. This is the verse that's launching us into the eleventh chapter of Hebrews. 
but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Susan, would you mind shutting that door for me? And so here, verse 39 is launching us into chapter 11. He's reminding us who we're a part of. He's saying, you're them. You're not the ones who shrink back and are destroyed. He has gotten to know them, and he has confidence after he's kind of outlined all these ways that Jesus is better, that they're going to be able to grasp onto that, to live with that truth, and then be able to see this is now how we go and live. So this is launching us again into considering the faithful. And now in chapter 11, he's going to give us examples of how this actually worked. And one of the things that's really important when we're struggling in our faith and even when we're just enjoying our faith is to be able to understand that the people around us, when we talk about community, when we talk about the church, when we talk about all these different groups of people that we are part of, it is not only the people that are beside us or the people that are living right now in the rest of the world, which if you think about that, that's also a pretty phenomenal heritage of faith, right, in a group of people. But it is also the history of the church that has gone before us, and it is the community of the people who will go after us. And so when we are considering the faithful, sometimes our hearts need to be able to look at what God has done in the past to be able to remind ourselves of who he is and the ways that he sometimes works. I know a lot of times we, we can look back on our own lives and see, Lord, I saw you show up there, and I saw you show up there. We can look at the lives of the people maybe in our small groups or in our community groups, and we can say, Lord, I saw you show up there. There have been certain people in my lives, in, I don't, I've only had one life, actually, <laughs> in my life that it has been a joy to watch the Lord continually show up and work in their lives and see how he chooses to do that. But sometimes we also need to be able to look back on some of these Old Testament biblical people who lived and breathed the same life that we do and be able to see how the faithfulness of God worked in their lives and how the faithfulness of God made them faithful. Um, we know that, this is just bonus material, that Israel was called so many times by the Lord to make a statue or a, an Ebenezer of sorts to be able to call the people back to remember God's faithfulness. And so this chapter really serves as a giant Ebenezer in our lives to be able to review and to be able to go back and say, okay, look how the Lord showed up there. And sometimes we're going to see that it brought amazing things that were miraculous and did wonders. And sometimes we're going to see that their faithfulness brought hardship and physical torture and all sorts of awful things into their lives. Yet God counted both of those situations as beautiful and both of those situations as faithful. <clears throat> So we're going to look into verse 1. Previously, the author has said that we must persevere by faith. That's something he said already. And now he's going to give us a working definition of what that means. I really have enjoyed looking at these first pretty much four verses because there's a lot of meat in these first verses. I hope that you had an opportunity this week to be able to look at them also throughout your homework, to be able to familiarize yourself with some of the stories that we're going to encounter today. Verse 1 says, now faith actually is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so here we begin to look at a couple of these words. I think an important concept, the word assurance, I don't know if you were, um, I was trying to think of all the times I use the word assurance in my life. And I don't think I use it, except when I sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And when I read this verse. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we all had an understanding of what this word means. 
So assurance, this actual word is not found. I, I, it's either found one, this is all from memory. Don't stone me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it was maybe found one other time in the New Testament, but I think it was the only time that this word shows up in the New Testament because it is a legal word, which is more so like the title deed of your car of your house. And so this is actually like a visual representation that you would have of something that you owned. So it's a visual representation of kind of an intangible concept, kind of like owning a car, right? Like you can't really like put your ownership into something. So they've made this title deed for your car. They've given it to you and you get to carry around this piece of paper and show people this is the car I own, whether you like it or not. And so this word assurance here is really has the idea behind it that it is a legal representation of a possession. It's the title deed for what we're going to talk about in a moment. So now faith actually is the assurance. It's the title deed of these things that we have hoped for. And when we talk about hoping for, what are some of the things that we're hoping for? Throw them out. What do you think this is referring to? Heaven. Heaven. Yep, the second coming of Jesus. Salvation of loved ones. Yep. Also, our own glorification. So, like when we get to go to heaven in the way that our bodies and our minds are made new, and the resurrection of the saints that have gone before us, too. And so, we have all these different aspects that are kind of brought into this word. These are the assurance. This is the title deed of these things that we're hoping for. This is what shows up. This is what you can show people. This is what you can know yourself. This is your assurance for these things that you're hoping for. And it is also the conviction of things not seen. So where we're going to begin to see a theme in this chapter of these words, invisible, visible, not seen, seen. And I want you to really be paying attention to that. I hope you caught that as you read through the chapter this week. Um, and that's something that I think is kind of a fun little side theme that we're going to be looking at. But conviction is a God-given persuasion of things that are invisible. And so we know, hopefully you've gotten to see this in your own life, that oftentimes the Lord shows up in our lives and he gives us conviction. He shows us something that we can't see. Sometimes, <laughs> we're going to talk about so many of the different stories today, he shows up and he calls us to do something that makes no sense. And we still can't see it, but yet he's behind the scenes working. So a few different aspects of the conviction of the things that we can't see would be the forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins. That is not something we can see all the time. We cannot always see the spirit living inside of us, yet that's something that we get to have conviction on. We cannot, mm, what's an intercessor? Um, we cannot always see Christ as an interse intercessor, um, but we can, we can, it's a new word, I made it up, it means... He prays for ants. Um, so but Christ is an intercessor for us. We can't always see, see that happening. We don't get a glimpse into the throne room of God and see him sitting there mediating that on our behalf. And we can't always see that we have access to God in prayer. So these are some of the, just some of the invisible aspects of what this conviction means and what this points towards. Now faith is actually the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So we have the assurance, we have the hoped for, and we have the conviction. Yet, verse 2 goes on to say, For owing to this kind of faith, the saints of old were divinely commended. This kind of faith. 
referring back to the definition we just received and referring forward to what we're about to look at. He's kind of trying to show us that so many of the characters and so many of the people, sometimes I feel weird talking about the word characters because um, it's like, be like Mickey Mouse also. Um, but these people were true and lived their lives, right? And so this kind of faith, they had a conviction in the invisible and what was not seen, but it showed up in their lives and was seen by the people around them. And so when he's talking about the saints of old being divinely commended, um, we see again and again, and we are told that this is how the saints of old came to a saving knowledge and got to go to heaven, grace through faith. We know that Abraham, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And their hope was only partially visible to them through the sacrificial system and through everything that they experienced because they were looking at that shadow. And as they tried to grasp onto the shadow and everything that they did, they only had a limited understanding to be able to see what was happening. They didn't know. When we look at the Old Testament, we read it in light of what we know now. Their daily experience did not know where this was leading to them. And they knew prophecy. They knew that God was going to send someone who would crush Satan. Yet at the same time, they didn't know when that was happening. They didn't know how that was happening. And they only had the shadow of what to see. So they could only see so well what was going on. And in some ways, that's like all of us, right? Because now we have Christ. And now we have the new covenant. And now we have all of these different aspects that have given a substance to that shadow but we still don't have all the answers for what it's going to look like when we get to heaven. We have a shadow and we have an idea of what heaven will look like, but we don't know all of these different aspects of the glory and the beauty that's going to be holding wait for us, waiting for us. Um, so all of us kind of have a limited understanding of this future hope, but we know what we know, that what we know is good enough and most beautiful, that it's just going to get better from there. And that's the same as the saints of, uh, saints of old. They were divinely commended for what they, the faith that they had, and it was credited to them as righteousness. Verse 3 goes on to say, By faith we understand that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by a divine command, so that what is visible has not come into existence from things which appear. So this phrase, by faith, is now going to appear from here on out 19 times in this chapter. So if we are looking at just, you know, popular words, we would see this is going to be super important. One of the things I love about verse 3 is that he talks about by faith, we understand. Does anyone feel a little weird about that, like, sentence? Because there's a tension there, right? Faith, we just talked about, like, two verses ago, right, is all about the things that we don't see, right, which sometimes are hard to understand. Yet I love that here he gives our first oxymoron. Like he gives our first thing that we're like, what? Like by faith and then by understand it. It's because he's setting up the fact that oftentimes like actually faith is not always just an element where we're completely blind in what is going on. It does not believe in something without fact that engages the mind to anchor that in. But yet on the flip side, sometimes faith calls us to do something crazy to the world and even to our own minds that we maybe don't have the understanding for, but our understanding is anchored in the foundation that God is good, that he is big, and that he is higher than our ways, and our faith leads us to that understanding. Romans 1 tells us that we can look at the visible world around us, and it declares the glory of God, and that the visible world, the created world, 
Um, just this morning, I'll probably post them on Instagram and Facebook later, I took my dog for a walk and I was literally in awe. I think it was because of the frost and then the sun coming up, but like the, you could audibly hear the leaves falling this morning. It was like so loud. And I was like, stop, don't, that means winter comes after, no, stay. Like, um, and at first I thought like the squirrels were going crazy in the trees because just this whole row of trees, I'm just talking like a deluge of leaves just falling down. And I just was able to stand there and as the sun was coming through, be able to just very much so enjoy it, watching the leaves fall to the ground, um, even though it always makes me a little sad. It's the glory of God working in seasons, right, is the acceptance of what comes afterwards. Um, but being able to see and look at the visible world and the creation around us and how that declares the glory and the intricacy and the creation and the creative spirit of God and the bigness and all these different things. And so he tells us that all of us are without excuse um, because we are able to see that there's something out there that has created and is a creator and it's big. But we don't acknowledge him as the creator and as the God of it. Um, and we don't seek to find out about him. And so we know that we, Romans 1 talks about that and what faith looks like in that and that the word of God in this verse, in verse 3, he's talking about how the word of God spoke to create and to beautifully coordinate um, by divine command, bringing everything into existence. And so really what we're talking about in this verse is the beginning of creation being kind of um, heralded as the first act of faith in what we see going on. And from this point out, we're going to kind of work through the highlight reel of the Old Testament and to be enabled to, in order to be able to see this faith in action. The author is assuming that we are familiar with all these different stories. So he kind of is going to mention a character and then mentions like one or two points on them. Some of these characters have chapters upon chapters upon books upon books outlining all of their life. And he's just kind of in rapid like speed going here's all these he's just I think he's just like writing so quickly like and then this person and then you see it here and then you see it here and you see what has happening also here last time I taught also we looked at the author said literally in verse five of whatever chapter I was teaching on last I think it was nine um, he said okay but we're not going to talk about these things now right because this is not the point these are just examples to be able to give the point that I'm talking about um, and it's kind of the same in this chapter so it's important for us not to lose fact of the um, sight of the fact that when we're talking about what we're going to talk about in a moment, this is all pointing us back to considering the faithful. These are all just examples of what the author is trying to hit home as, uh, as the main point. And I hope that your homework led you in investigation of some of these people and some of the lives that they led. And I hope that some of that was maybe a little confusing for you. Because we're going to talk about a couple of people who you're like, oh, how did you get on this list? <laughs> That makes me feel a little awkward. And so in that investigation, hopefully that was just a good place to start with this character study. One thing if, um, I just wanted to put as a plug, if you are not familiar with some of the characters that show up in this passage, I would love for that to be something that maybe you do over Advent or maybe that you just do in some of your free time to be able to know who some of these people are. We're going to highlight a couple of them today, but we're not going to go into all of them. Another resource that I just love for that effect is the Big Picture, I think it's the Big Picture Storybook Bible or the Big Picture Bible. You're nodding at Storybook Bible. Um, if you do not have this book and you have any age children or you yourself, it's a child book, but I think it is magnificent. And so it, it's a huge book. Um, it can also be used to like 
hold down things that are trying to fly away. Um, um, my oldest daughter read through it, I think, in first grade, and she just loved what it does. So what it does is it takes the narrative of the Bible and includes all the characters with the big picture, because that's the title and that's what it's doing, and to show God's redemptive plan from the beginning of the Old Testament all through the end of the New Testament. And so it doesn't tell every verse, it doesn't tell every story, but it really shows up in all these different ways to show you. We're not just talking about Moses, and we're not just talking about Abraham, but these all are actually making a megaphone for us to be able to see who Jesus is and how he showed up at the right time in history. And so it is a great resource for ourselves to be able to understand how all of this goes together, and it is a great resource for children. And it's really big and heavy. So as we go, we start into verse 4. Um, I think it's the next slide. I have them here. I forgot. All right. You guys are going to really enjoy my slides today. Verse 4 says, Because of his faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice, through which he was attested to be righteous, in that God himself testified about his gifts, and through it, although he died, he is still speaking. So the first character we see that is talking about faith is Abel. Now, if we just talked about creation, and now we're talking about Abel, who just got skipped? Adam and Eve. Who are? His parents. So that's pretty sad, actually. Um, because now we're going to start to work through the narrative of the Old Testament. And yes, he does continue to skip other people, but I do feel like the silence in this is kind of like a really sad point. And I don't know if I said this in this Bible study yet, but I'll say it again. So when I was a little girl, I would sit in bed and I'd be like, why, Eve, why? Um, like, I would just imagine, like, if um, both, if Eve hadn't made that choice, what our life would look like. And also, if I was Eve, I would have never made that choice because... That's the prideful heart of a five-year-old. And, um, and so being able to see, like, how you, oh, you've just messed everything up. And so um, I think the author felt the same way. So he was like, they are not making it into the lineup here. <laughs> so in Genesis 4, we see, like, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Like, this is a super dysfunctional family. Um, yet, somehow, out of a super dysfunctional family comes our first person in the lineup of faith. So what we know about Cain and Abel is that they were at odds. Cain was a grain, he was the person responsible for raising the grain, the farmer of the grain, and Abel was the person responsible for raising the animals and was the herdsman. Um, they had enough understanding of God to know that they had to offer sacrifices. And, saw, and when they went to offer their sacrifices, the Lord saw that Abel's heart had the right motive combined with the right action that was being done by faith. And somehow he saw in Cain's heart that Cain did not have, he was doing the outward sign of righteousness by making his offering, yet he did not have the right heart. And here in verse 4, we're told that that's exactly what Abel offered to God, a more acceptable sacrifice. Now, some people have said that's because Abel's was meat and Cain's was grain. But I think when we begin to know a God's heart, we know that many times throughout the Old Testament sacrificial system, grain was a completely acceptable offering. And poor Cain, it wasn't his fault. He was just the grain person. And then we began to see there, though, that 
through his acceptable sacrifice, the way that he made it, that is what was attested to him to be righteousness. And so we see that somehow the Lord was able to look into their hearts and see, actually, when you have the right motive, with the right action by faith, this is what gives you a voice. And I love that part on the end of verse 4. He says, and although he has died, he is still speaking. His witness, his life, the way that he chose to do his sacrifice still has a voice into our lives today. And I think this is one of the things that we start off in looking at faith is that it matters where our heart is before the Lord. It is not about actions. It is about what our motive is and what is happening inside of us as we do these things. Verse 5 says, Because of his faith, Enoch was removed so that he would not, the word literally is see, but we use the word experience death. Consequently, he was not being found because God had removed him. For prior to his removal, he had been attested to have pleased God. So we know that Enoch was 365 years old when he was removed. This word here means, um, in the Greek here, in, in the book of Hebrews, means to literally, physically, physically, be transported from one geographical location to another. So this could happen, like, on a camel, in the, you know, at this time, or, you know, however else you were transported from one geographical location on, like, those, like, little cool Cleopatra bed things. Um, so this word was already a common word for what it meant to be moved by someone else from one geographical location to another location. And so here the author is using this word to talk to the fact that God was like, and I will take you, Enoch, you will not see or experience death, and it will geographically move you into heaven. Um, which I think, I, I, I don't know if I can speak for you, but like, part of me is like, yes, let's do that. Um, that would be great. One of the things I love, I love the name Enoch, so that's like one of my votes if we ever got to have another son. I um, can't remember why Micah doesn't like it, but pretty much every name I come up with, he has some kind of problem with. Um... And we won't talk about how he named Elliot in the hospital without my permission right now. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to that some other time. It's a good one. So, um, so Enoch was removed. But when we look at the motive, when we look at what we need to learn from this verse, what is it that we need to grasp from this? It has to do with faith. Well, he pleased God. For prior to his removal, he had been attested to have pleased God. And I love that. Here the Lord is telling us that this whole faith concept, when we see it working in someone's life, it brings about a pleasure for the Lord. Enoch believed in divine revelation. It's factual when we look at his story. He lived in dependency to God, and then he conformed his life to that divine revelation that he knew. Even though he only had that shadow at that time, he conformed the way he lived. And it pleased the Lord so much so that he chose to remove him so he did not have to experience death. St. Augustine said one of my favorite quotes that I think about often. He said, love the Lord your God. No, that's not what he said. He said, please God with all your heart and then do whatever you please. Because he knows that if we're seeking to please God and that's what we're doing, that that's just going to overflow into every other little facet of our life and we're not going to have to think about all the other facets. Because when we are so 
centered on pleasing God, everything else will overflow in that, in our hearts. And yes, it's a little simplistic, but at the same time, it's super true. Verse 6 goes on to say, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him out. And the word there is actually literally, it would be translated as that he turns out to be a rewarder. Like there's a little bit of a shock and a surprise actually in that sentence. Like, and didn't you know he turns out to be a rewarder? We just talked about in chapter 10 of, as, of God as a rewarder. And I think this verse 6 gives us the question to be able to ask of ourselves, well, how can I please God? How can I be considered faithful? And so already, although he's going to give us like 75 more examples of Old Testament um, people, he's already beginning to hit on a little bit of our own self-reflection here to be able to say, how do I please God? How can I be considered the faithful? And so here at the beginning, he uses something called an antiosis, which is the use of a negative to express a positive in an emphatic way. So what does he say? Where, where, where does that show up? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's a negative way of saying that sentence, right? You could be like, so just so you know, with faith, you could totally do these things. But he's using that negative to try to make a point so that it catches our attention and makes us pay more attention to what's going to come after that. So here's the opposite of that. With faith, we can please God. And he goes on to outline the two aspects of what that looks like. Anyone who comes to God, anyone who has faith in God, this is not just coming to God as a big old great person sitting in the sky who has power, but this is coming to God for a relationship. Must understand and believe that he exists, that he is there, and that he turns out to be a rewarder. A rewarder in giving us heaven, a rewarder in giving us himself, a rewarder in giving us a trustworthy, sovereign God who is in charge of our lives and who has the best interest for us at heart and so many other things of peace and joy. And that those who seek him out, and so those, that word right there, that's plural. So remember the whole context of this verse. We're considering the faithful because he's trying to remind us of all ways we've learned about Jesus is better. He's given us those parenthetical warnings, and now we're going into here, and he's talking to us in a big old group, kind of like y'all, but it's the y'all version of those. And so he's not talking to the individual. He's not just talking to me, but he's talking to us. And he says, those who seek him out diligently. It's kind of like a group effort that, yes, has an independent spirit, but it's also a communal spirit. Seven says, because of his faith, Noah. Go ahead and go to Noah. That's my favorite because I think that's legit. Like, shove them all in. Oh, you can't see the dinosaur's head. He's, like, up there a little bit. So that's a little controversial if the dinosaur was on the ark, but I still like the picture. Because of his faith, Noah, when divinely warned about things not yet seen, here we have our, our hidden theme here, gave reverent heed and built an ark for the preservation of his family, by which he condemned the world and thus proved to be an heir or a possessor of righteousness that is obtained by faith. So again, we have this whole concept of not seen. When you think about Noah's story, the, the, you, you just were to take a whole day and be like, he's crazy, right? 
like here, we don't, we don't know how rain worked totally before this point. There's a possibility that it had never even rained before. So there's a possibility that had Noah not even seen a large body of water because of his location, he could, he could have, but there's a high possibility he had never seen a large body of water and hadn't had rain. And the Lord was like, I'm going to take that wet stuff and I'm going to put it like all around you and it's going to be a flood. And so not only was this something that you and I have categories for, it was something that was outside of even his categories of what could ever happen. Yet, he chose to look at the things that were not being seen. And he listened to God's voice, and he was given an opportunity to live listening and obeying. And he chose that listening and obeying is really vital. And so as I was going through it, <laughs> my silly mind was like, hashtag thanks, Noah, because... Um, let's think about that for a second. If Noah had chosen not to listen and obey, how would that affect us right now? Right. And so one of the homework questions coming up this week is for you to think about the choices that you have in your life that are affecting generations to come that you don't even totally understand. Because that hashtag of thank you, Noah, it allows us to be able to see that like, sometimes people have made choices that have led us to where we are, and we have a lot to be thankful for their faithfulness that have gone before us because they chose and took the opportunity to live as though it is vital to listen to the voice of God and to do things that seemed pretty crazy at the time that ended up sparing us through their extraordinary faith. Verse 8 says, because of his faith, Abraham, as he has been called, obeyed in that he departed for a place which he was destined to receive an inheritance or possession. Yes, he departed, although he did not know where he should go. And by faith, he sojourned in the promised land as if he were in a foreign country, living permanently in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were co-heirs of the same promise. For he kept eagerly anticipating the city which has foundations, whose designer and builder is God himself. Um, here we have Abraham making the covenant with God, which we've talked about extensively. Um, that's my favorite one. There was lots of different options to choose from, but I loved all the floating presence of God in making the covenant. And so um, one of the, we've talked a lot about Abraham, I think, and so we're not going to spend a lot on him, a lot of time on him, but I do enjoy his beard. Yes. Whoever does these likes capes. They do. And I think it adds a certain element of, here I am to make a covenant. <laughs> Verse 11 says, because of her faith, also barren, Sarah received, Sarah herself received ability to conceive a child. It, the word ability is literally the, literally the word power. Sarah herself received power to conceive a child. And that passed the normal age of childbearing, since she considered him who had promised utterly trustworthy. Thus, because of this, from one man descendants were born, and these from an, important, an impotent man. As many as the stars of the sky in number, and as many of grains of sand on the seashore, innumerable. And so we have Sarah here, and I enjoy her wrinkles. It gives us a perspective of what she was experiencing. And I love the fact that it doesn't say that the word literally is to receive power to conceive which I think is a refreshing reminder for some of us um, in childbearing and everything that that looks like. That is the Lord who gives the power for that. 
that she's looking at the promised land. And so now we've gone from talking about the promised land in these last couple things and creation and the way that we've been moving and the way that Abraham made a covenant and the way that Noah landed. And now the focus shifts to being on the promised child because this is when we begin to see the lineage of Jesus show up here. And the promised child is now going to be what we continue to walk through in the rest of this chapter. And one of the things I love about Sarah is that we must never interpret the power of God by our circumstances. Rather, we must interpret our circumstances by the, power, by the promise of God's power. And so we know that, I mean, I think everyone has, at least I do, I have a very good amount of compassion for Sarah to be able to be like, okay, all right, that sounds great. Um, and to be able to say, okay, Lord, you're just crazy, right? And then he flips that back on us and is able to say, like, actually, I'm going to make you the one that looks crazy because I'm going to do a good work in you and I'm going to show myself off. And we must never interpret the power of God by our circumstances, rather interpret the circumstances by the promise of God's power. Lots of times, Sarah got to see the fulfillment of the, I mean, I guess a small portion of the fulfillment of God's promise to her. Um, but she got to have her son, and she got to experience that on earth. Sometimes we don't get to experience the fulfillment. So did Noah. And so some of these characters, we see that they got to experience what the Lord was calling them to do that was crazy, and then they got to see him show up and be like, see, I told you so, right? Which I think had to feel pretty good. It had to feel pretty good to build an ark and be like, oh, there's the rain. Woo, okay. Um, but a lot of times we don't always get to experience the fulfillment um, of what we've been asked to do on earth. And that's part of the beauty of God being in control and us not being in control is that he has an eternal agenda. And it's not just the here and now that this eternal agenda belongs to, but it is for eternity. And I think sometimes that's really hard for us to be able to grasp and to be okay with. But it's, I think, one of the most beautiful options and opportunities that we have, just like we talked about in Noah, the fact that, like, he has no idea that by his obedience in that moment we'd be sitting in this room. Yet that is one of the eternal agendas of the Lord to be able to work things forward in faithfulness. So we go on in different characters. I'm just going to read through this here. Verse 13 says, All these died in faith. And that they did not recognize all the things promised. There's that shadow again. Rather, they recognized that these promises would be fulfilled in the distant future. Consequently, they welcomed joyfully, anticipated them, and confessed that they were sojourning strangers upon earth. Verse 14. To elaborate, in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down. People who make such remarks make it quite plain that they are longing for a country of their own. And if they had met that country from which they had immigrated they would have had plenty of chance to return to it. But as it actually is, they earnestly yearn for a better country that is a heavenly one. For this reason, God is not ashamed of them, in that he calls himself their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Because of his faith, Abraham actually offered up Isaac when he was tested. Yes, he who had joyfully received the promises, which is Isaac in that sentence, was on the verge of offering up his uniquely begotten son, to whom it had been said, only through Isaac will your children be traced. Because he personally reasoned that even from the dead, God can raise people up. 
from whence he received him back, figuratively speaking. And so here we get a glimpse into what Abraham's mind was going through during that time when he was asked to offer up Isaac. We, the author shows us here that he had an, he, Abraham's had such a confidence in the faithfulness of God that he knew even if he had to offer up his son, God could bring him back from the dead because God was big enough to be able to do that, because God was big enough to be able to give, it to, give him to him in the first place and keep his promises true. Yet at the same time, we know that the Lord stepped in with that little glittery angel in the corner and provided another way, which is one of the greatest um, tangents I could go on. But I'll just say this, that the Lord never demands our blood, and he always provides a way for him to be able to be the one who gives the sacrifice for us. Verse 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and that concerning things to come. I really enjoy how they made that red, furry Esau in that picture. By faith, as he was dying, Jacob blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he bowed in worship, leaning on the top of his staff. Because of his faith, as the end was drawing near, Joseph mentioned the exodus, or the departure, of the descendants of Israel and gave instructions about his bones. I think there's two questions, two other slides there, Lauren. There's Jacob and Joseph's sons, and then we have his bones sitting there in the bottom there. Because of their faith, Moses, when he was born, and who's their faith there? Yep. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was such a fine child. Consequently, they did not fear the command issued by the king. And because of his own faith, Moses, when he reached adulthood, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose for himself instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures provided by sin. Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he fixed his eyes on the reward. Because of his faith, he abandoned Egypt, not fearing the king's wrath. Instead, he steadfastly persevered, since he kept seeing him who is... Invisible. We'll talk about him in a second more. So here we have Moses, right? Actually, I'm going to go ahead and read the next one too. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the spreading of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not harm theirs. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. Although the Egyptians tried to do the same thing, they were totally engulfed and drowned. So we have a Moses, right? And so I really enjoy Moses too. I've never known him, but I enjoy his Lego character and what I read about him. And so we see here that he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you think about that and all of the implications relationally, politically, that that made for him, that is a crazy act. He gave up the pleasures of being her son and the treasures of Egypt. Again, that is another crazy thing. And what I love about the story of Moses um, that is an encouragement for me as a parent is that here his parents place him in the water and I can just, I, I actually can't even imagine what that must have been like to be able to submit him to watch God work and see, okay, I don't know what you're going to do with him. And then his parents had a little bit of blessing, right, to be able to be involved in his younger years. But at the same time, by and large, that was them offering over to God and seeing what God would do with him. Um, in the story of history, they didn't know any of that at the time. But mostly, they were just looking to see what God would do in their son's life to be able to preserve him. And what we see here 
is that um, God showed up and he worked and made Moses into one of the most beautiful biblical characters that, again, has so many implications in pointing us towards Jesus and the coming of Christ. And somehow, the Lord grasped onto Moses' heart in the middle of an Egyptian palace with all of the treasures and pleasures that he could ever have, and the Lord gave him this confidence, and he gave him this conviction, and he gave him this assurance, and he gave, taught him about the things that he could not see, and then somehow grasped his heart so that he would do crazy things because he knew that there was something better. And verse 26 tells us, just kidding, yeah, 26, he says, because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he um, had his eyes fixed on the reward. Now, did um, Moses somehow have like a secret Jesus who showed up to him and told him all these things? Or how did Moses know Christ in this verse? No, I don't think that Jesus showed up to him. I think he got to go to the burning bush. That's pretty cool. And he got to, like, interface with God in ways that, like, many people have not had the opportunity to, although it made him, like, cranky. Don't you think? A little bit. Um, a lot of these characters are cranky. I want to be like, let's lift the eyebrows. I think they were like, whoa. And so, but somehow in verse 26, he, uh, the author, is putting in there and filling in the blank the fact that Moses considered basically pleasing God, here we go again, but he turns it into the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He had this conviction inside of him, the things that he couldn't see, the things that he couldn't totally understand, yet the Lord worked in his heart to bring him to that knowledge and to call him towards his people to be a leader of them. And here we have that reward concept, right? Because we saw in the beginning of the chapter and we saw in chapter 10 that our God turns out to be a rewarder and that is part of the beauty of it. 2 Corinthians 4.17, um, I meant to put that in the slide. Can, does anyone have their Bible? They can whip that up real quick and read that out loud. 2 Corinthians 4.17. You win an extra pumpkin bar if you can read that for me out loud. <laughs> Amen. So here in 2 Corinthians 4.17, we see, an, uh, again, a lot of opposites, right? So we've looked at by faith, we have understanding. Okay, what? Seen, not seen, visible, invisible. And I think that this scripture just fits so, so perfectly into this little category right here because it shows us that um, there's actually this momentary concept that we have of our lives right now because the momentary is affecting the eternal. The things that we're experiencing right now, the things that he's writing to his audience in 2 Corinthians, but that he's also talking about in the book of Hebrews, this is, actually, this is light, but there's a weight of eternal glory that's coming. And so I know sometimes it doesn't feel light what you're experiencing, but there is a weight of the eternal glory. And then he talks about the affliction, right? But the affliction is going to be one of the things that leads us into glory. And so the trials that we're experiencing... They're not as heavy as the eternal splendor of glory. That's heavy. Eternity and what we're going to experience there, that is heavy. That is eternal. And that is going to be completely worth it. And so Moses says that he steadfastly persevered 
because he kept seeing him who is invisible. And um, which is in the end of verse 27. He steadfastly persevered since he kept seeing him who is invisible. And that's, again, that's one of the things we're learning about faith. When we have faith, we continue to see that which is invisible. And we always have an awareness of God's working and his sovereign presence in his life and in our lives. My grandfather passed away last December, and we had his funeral. And I had the privilege of being able to go. And um, I got to hear person after person stand up and talk about something that my grandpa had told them. And I had never heard them say this, and I think I might have mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again. They said, you know what, Vern, he just told me to, okay, so my grandpa worked for, I think I just said this in biblical conflict class, we'll say it again, um, day, no, I'm not, where's my mom? She's not here. Um, not days, Dick, Dickinson's? Is that like at a Christian bookstore who'd make like all the little tchotchke like little things and like the pictures? I think that's what it is. He worked for Dickinson, so like his whole life was like WWJD, like all these like, you know, little tchotchke Christian things or whatever. And so he would say to people, WGW. So people were telling these stories, and I was sitting in the front, and I was like, what are we talking about? I don't know what we're talking about. Bless the person who finally got up and was like, Vern would always say to me, watch God work. And be able to say, like, actually, this is awful, this feels awful, and this seems awful. But we're going to step back from this situation that we're experiencing right now, because my grandpa was a missionary. Then he went on to be the pastor of their church who visited people in the hospital and visited the sick. And so he got himself in the middle of a lot of hard. And he would say to people, we're going to step back and we're going to watch God work. And I think sometimes that is what seeing the invisible looks like, is being able to step back and being able to say, I do not know what is going on here. This seems ugly and abhorrent and a hot mess by every definition that I know of those words. But we are going to step back and we are going to watch God work. And I think about Moses' parents. I think that's the opportunity that they took. And because that was through their faith that this all shenanigan of Moses kind of began. And they were able to step back and watch God work. Because he is always working. And he's always executing his sovereign presence in our life. But sometimes we just don't see it. And sometimes we get to see our convictions materialize, and sometimes we don't. Yet we have the opportunity to persevere in our conviction regardless of seeing or not seeing the invisible. So we continue to go on, and let's see. We have verse 30, which talks about because of, the faith, because of faith, the walls of Jericho collapsed after they had been marched around for seven days. 31 says, because of her faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish along with those who disobeyed, having received the spies peacefully. Rahab is one of my other kind of like, what would you, it sounds awkward to call her like my pet Bible characters, but my faves, that's what we'll call it. Um, when I was at Moody, we had to read through the New Testament and the Old Testament our first semester there, every word, and it was before an easily accessible audio Bible. So it got tedious, I'm not going to lie. And I remember the first time I went through the genealogy of Jesus, and I was like, whoa, 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 how have I missed this all my life? Rahab is related to Jesus and Boaz and all these people. And I had missed, like, that makes the story of Rahab, like, so much better, right? 
because we see this awkward thing where she's like a prostitute, most likely, although that can be argued, living in the tower of the walls of Jericho. And here the spies and Joshua come to be able to seek out and see what's going on. Um, so she's a confusing character. She's a confusing character of why she's in here. She's a prostitute and she's a liar because she lies to the people about what was going on, right? And so, and he's like, um, we'll put her in here. We'll put her right here in the middle, actually towards the end of all these people, and it'll be great. So a whore and a liar, here we go. Um, so yet we know somehow between that point and when we see the genealogy of Jesus and we know all about Boaz and Ruth, we see that, um, so Rahab was Boaz's grandma, and then with Ruth, and if you don't know how, that whole story, please go look that all up. Um, we see somehow that... The Lord chose to put her right both in this chapter and right where she was and use her despite her past. More than likely, a woman in prostitution at this time would have been put into prostitution by her family at a young age in order to pay off a debt that they could not otherwise pay for. So this is a woman who um, had pretty much probably been marginalized and abused by her own people. And I think if you think about it, like the Lord shows up with these people who have this hope, right, and have this whole other life, and they come to her window, and they meet her, and I think that would have been like, yes, let's go with that opportunity because the life I'm living in is so awful. I would love to be able to get out of it. She had a desperation for change, and she was somehow, this verse tells us, able to see the visible and the invisible, and even though it was invisible, it was still attractive because it was better than the visible that she was experiencing. And the Lord somehow at that moment took hold of her heart and chose to use her, and he didn't just leave her there. He continued to weave her into the entire story of the person of Jesus and all the things that bring about to get him to his entire genealogy and use her in that way, which I think is just one of the most redemptive ways and one of the most beautiful things that the Lord continues to show up and do in so many lives, in so many parts of our lives. But if we look at faith in that verse, what do we see? We see that she grasped onto the invisible and that invitation that was there. And if you think because of your past that you have no future of faith, I think that you should probably remember that you are wrong because faith is all about people who have a past and people hoping in the invisible and gaining the substance and being given a beautiful future of faith, which is verse 32. In verse 32, we see a lot of awkward people. We're not going to go into them now, but most of the people in that verse, you're like, why are you here? Because let's start start with Gideon. Gideon was like the biggest doubter of all times, and he kept testing God, and he was like kind of a hot mess. And I think he's a really anxious person, and he was like, I know, no, no, oh, you gotta show me again, you gotta show me again, right? So he was actually, in my opinion, like the opposite of faith. And yet somehow he makes this. No, he didn't get a whole verse to himself. <laughs> However, he does make it in this list of people, and these are kind of the, some of the strange characters that show up in here and kind of make us go, okay, wait, how did these men get right here? And so verses 32 through 38, again, he's pointing us back. Consider the faithful. We've gone through some of these stories in more detail, and now we're going to do a rapid summary through faith. And so we go to the next slide, which gives us the first half of this rapid summary that happens in verses 32 through 35. If you go to the next slide, Lauren. Oh, it's real small. 
So he says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, extinguished the power, the destructiveness of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became brave in war, routed enemy armies. Women actually received back their dead by resurrection through faith. So he makes this entire list, this entire rapid fire summary of what can happen through faith. Then he goes on, and in verses 36 and 37, he goes to the next one, Lauren. He says, But others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, tempted, sawed in half, murdered with a sword. They had to roam about dressed in sheepskins and goatskins, which I think is very fascinating. It makes it on this list in the same category as being sawed in half. They were constantly destitute, habitually afflicted, always mistreated, whom the world did not deserve, wandering about in uninhabited areas, mountains, dens, and caves of the lands. So I don't know about you, but I'm all about the first half of that rapid-fire list. Like, yes, this is what happens through faith. And yet at the same time, the author of Hebrews here tells us, sometimes the outcome is not a sign of the reward. Because by others, they experienced that. And there's a lot of people in the Christian world that tell us that the Christian life is made to feel good. Um, full of comfort, full of ease. But what we begin to see is that the invisible truth sometimes brings about visible suffering. And if this life is hard, we cannot assume that we are doing something bad or something has gone wrong. Because this chapter is the hall of faith. These are the people who have been considered faithful, and yet some of them have experienced this entire list of things. So it's not true that the Christian life is made to be a place of comfort and ease. And he, the author, is trying to give assurance to the original readers that some of what they're experiencing currently is not as bad as some of the other things that people have persevered through. Therefore, we too can persevere when life is hard. Verse 39 says, In all of these, all the people we've talked about, every one of them, although divinely commended because of their faith, did not receive the promise. And at first glance, you're like, they didn't get it? <gasps> they didn't receive the promise? But what that really is talking about is that every one of them, although they were commended, they never knew what the promise would totally be. They only got the shadow. That's all they got. And when we try to grasp onto a shadow, does that leave us feeling like we have a handful of stuff? No, it doesn't. Yet they knew that was worth it because the shadow was so beautiful that the substance could have just been only better. And what was that promise? The promise was of the Messiah and the coming of the new covenant. They didn't know what all that would look like, but they knew it was worth it. And so without seeing all of the way that the Lord was working for our good, um, I think sometimes this verse kind of steps in the face of, um, and so the verse before also, seeing that the Lord works all those are good for all those who love him, Sometimes we have such a definition and we have such an understanding of what we think that should mean and how that should be articulated in our life and how that should show up in our life. And one of the things that this verse and these verses are debunking is that sometimes the Lord is actually good and he shows up in strange ways that seem a little crazy because the invisible is bigger and better than the visible. Verse 40 says, Because... 
So this is a causal statement, right? So everything we've just been talking about, even if we didn't know what we had just been talking about, we'd be able to go back and know that now we're going to know the cause of whatever we were just talking about. But we do know what we were just talking about, hopefully. Because God had provided something better for us so that they would not be perfected without us. And so God had provided something better for us, a better person, a better substance, a better person, a better ministry, a better life, as we've looked at in our outline of who Jesus is. He's better than the angels, better than Moses, better covenant, better hope, better high priest, better relationship with God in worship, and a better nearness to him. And when we consider the faithful, we have the opportunity to visibly walk out by faith in our lives. All that we've talked about in these chapters leading up to this, this is kind of, again, the descent going down. But all the things that we've talked about being better, they have given us the substance of who Jesus is to be able to consider the faithful and to be able ourselves to be able to walk by faith. This gives us perseverance in our daily moments to please God, as we talked about, and what that looks like. And so one of my greatest hopes and one of my greatest joys for us is to be able to, may it be said of us, that this world is not worthy of us by the way that we walked by faith. And so I hope in the upcoming week and some of the questions that you have the opportunity to mull over, and if in your small groups, if you want to even just jump, if you want to, to the questions that are um, at the beginning of the homework for this week, we have the opportunity to be able to kind of examine our faith and the legacy that it's leaving and to be able to see our assurance and our conviction and what we're hoping for. What does the world around us see that we're hoping for? Do we have an assurance that people are able to see as a visible proclamation of the thing that is invisible happening inside of us? And what is our conviction about? I have a lot of convictions. I'm an Enneagram number one. I have a conviction that, I can't think of any convictions right now, actually, but I have a lot of them, so I'll make a list later. <laughs> I do not want to be known um, for those convictions over my conviction that Jesus is better. And so I pray that that would be the same thing in all of our lives as we continue to study the book of Hebrews and we continue winding it down and really entering into a season of a lot of busyness in our own lives. But my prayer is that this, all that we've learned would not be lost on what else is going on in our lives, but that it be intersecting with our lives, causing change and causing redemption in our own hearts and allowing us to consider the faithful and what that looks like for our own hearts. So I'm going to close this in prayer and we'll move into a time of small groups. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you work in ways that are different than our ways. So Lord, when we would read the biographies of these people in the Old Testament, we would just be like, what is happening? And why are you doing this? And don't you know, Eve, this all could have been different. Yet at the same time, Lord, you were there all along. And your heart and your eyes saw so many of these events in different ways. And you saw these people that you knew intimately at this time and point in history all along the timeline, pursuing you and choosing to have faith and to do things by faith. And some of them are small that we would consider small. And some of them were amazing and huge implications for our lives today. But, Lord, around each and every moment, you gifted them with faith, Lord, and called them towards that and used them in miraculous ways. And so we pray that even in this room today and even in our week ahead, that you would use us in ways that are both small and both big. 
that you would do miraculous things through our faith, Lord, and that we would choose assurance and conviction and to hope for things, even though they're invisible, Lord, that the people around us would be able to see them visible in our own lives. And so we thank you for you, and we thank you that you walk along this journey every moment as you did all of these people that you've known and have gone before us. So we pray this in your precious name. Amen.